Welcome to the first official episode of What I Wish I'd Known About Self-Publishing Before I Got Started. I am Carly with Dragon Key Press, and I hope you enjoy. This first episode, we are going to talk about traditional publishing versus self-publishing. In case any of you kind of didn't have an idea, I wanted to point out one thing before we get too far. I am recording this with the understanding you are listening to this in the hopes of deciding which course is the best option for you. I'm not going out with the idea that you don't have anything written. I'm saving that for something else. So I'm assuming you're ready to look for an actual publishing agent, be it a traditional or self-publishing. So just know that everything I say from here out in this particular series will be under the assumption that you are ready to publish or close to it with your manuscript written and for all intents and purposes, ready to go. I am also not going to sugarcoat this. There are pros and cons to either path you take in the publishing world. In this episode, I am simply going to outline in some detail the differences between the various options open to you, paying the most attention to self-publishing because obviously that's what this is about, and we'll just go from there. But I want you to be at least aware of the different options and be somewhat fair to them. As I do want to spend the majority of my time on self-publishing, I'm going to go into the barest amount of detail now in regards to the traditional route. And not because I don't have as much experience, but because this is about self-publishing. If any of you listen to my why I'm doing this or why I'm qualified preface, you will know I tried to go traditional and it just didn't work for me. But that doesn't mean it won't work for you. There are hundreds of thousands of success stories in the traditional published world. These are the books you are most likely to see in bookstores, prominently displayed on shelves and tables. Even the majority of books in any library, public or private, will be from a traditional publisher. Because, let's face it, they have a lot more backing and a lot more pull than just some little small publisher or self-published author. Okay, there are a few types of traditional publishers you should be aware of. There's the large, the midsize, and the small. The large presses or publishers are also sometimes called the big five, though this kind of changes as the publishing world changes, which was mentioned in my preface. The industry is constantly changing. So at least for so at least at the time I recorded this podcast, there were the big five, which may or may not change depending on how things go. They are currently the Penguin Random House. HarperCollins, Hatchet, Simon & Schuster, and Macmillan. You might recognize those names from some of the books you've read, both fiction and nonfiction. They also have a plethora of imprints or smaller publishing house names used by the parent companies. And there are a ton that kind of parade around as their own separate thing, but they're actually under the larger umbrella of these big five. Usually they'll kind of tell you, but sometimes they don't. They'll be like, an imprint of da 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 da. These publishers pretty much never accept unsolicited manuscripts. That means you have to go through an agent to even hold a candle of a chance of being published by them. They go for books with mainstream appeal, often work with big names, celebrities, established writers, bestseller authors, etc. They like big names, big appeal, and sellability. If they don't think it will make them a lot of money, they won't touch you. 
The pros of going this route are that they assume all financial responsibility. They cover all the expenses, even some of the marketing, though they assume the author will do at least some of the marketing, even with the big ones, because they only give you so much support on that end. After a certain point, they figure it's up to you. Books published by the Big Five are the most likely to get mainstream coverage, get big reviews, and see the big placement in bookstores online and in stores. Mostly because they have the big clout. And everybody's like, ooh, yay, wonderful, look at this, it's the new best thing. And, you know, they have the money to make the big hype. As I previously said, though, you're pretty much going to need an agent to act as your intermediary to have a prayer of a chance of getting their attention. Getting an agent is all just part of the process of getting traditionally published. So it's something you should look into if going the traditional route. And you gotta be exactly what they're looking for, because agents have their wish list. And if it doesn't fit in the wish list, good luck. Good luck anyway. To get an agent, if you are a fiction writer, your manuscript must be complete. And as polished as you can possibly get it. If you are a nonfiction writer, you must have a full proposal ready to go. Research the type of agent you want. Not all agents accept just any old genre. Most will specialize in fiction or nonfiction with a further narrowed specialty of several different types, like children's illustrated, young adult speculative fiction, adult fiction, horror, etc. Some are quite picky, so make sure you know who you are sending your query to before you send it. You don't want to send one to somebody who only takes fantasy fiction when your book is historical fiction. Because the answer will be automatically no. So make sure you research your agents, any agents that you might be interested in. Because what you might sell might not be what they want. To snag yourself that coveted agent, you must write a cover letter to introduce your book, the intended audience, and why they should take you on as a client. This will usually accompany a sample of your work. How much depends on the agent, and uh, some of them like a lot, some of them like a little, some of them don't want any at all. Each will have their own variations of expectations. Some want emailed only, some snail mail, some both. There are some standards, especially when it comes to writing that all-important cover letter. You can look up examples online, but if you can't sell your story to the agent, they won't even consider taking you on, so do your research and make it look as good as you can before approaching. Otherwise, kiss your chances goodbye. Okay, here are some things you need to be aware of if you get signed on by the Big Five. Chances are good you will get some kind of advance. But this is an advance, not a royalty. It's against any future royalties your book stands to make. If your book does not make the money they expect it to, you better expect to pay back the difference. Most books don't make up the full amount, especially not for first-time authors. So chances are good you will have to pay something back. So don't go spending it all in one place. Just as the publisher assumes all costs, they get all the rights, usually for between 5 to 10 years, for any formats, etc. This includes the right to negotiate and sell movie rights to your books. So make sure you read your contracts before you sign them. They also have full control over final edits, cuts, additions, images, title and chapter name changes, and pretty much everything else. Make sure you read over your contracts carefully so you know what you are giving up for the privilege of them publishing your work and paying for it. 
Also, remember, they will only offer so much marketing support. Most traditionally published books tend to disappear from shelves within three to six months, unless they are series or have some kind of staying power. Usually a movie tie-in or something like that. And sometimes they'll resurface, but don't count on it. The mid-sized publishers include Keaton Mifflin Harcourt, Scholastic, Workman, Sourcebooks, John Wiley and Sons, W.W. Norton, Kensington, Tyndale, and a plethora of university-owned publishing houses. There are probably more than mentioned, but you get the gist. These publishers have the same capabilities as the Big Five. They like to work with those with mainstream appeal, but also have niche markets as well, meaning specialized markets such as poetry books. They also like commercial fiction, stuff that will sell and make them a profit. They work with celebrities, but it's not as hard to get in with them. They'll take nonfiction writers of all types. These types of publishers don't always require an agent and will have periods of open submissions for unsolicited manuscripts. Unsolicited meaning not purposefully sought out. But it's still a good idea to have an agent because, more often than not, these open submission periods end with a large slush pile that may or may not ever see the light of day. It's been known to happen, but don't count on it. The advantages of the mid-level traditional publishing houses is that the author pretty much has the same going for them as they do with the larger houses. The publisher assumes all costs and risks, but they also keep the copyright for that 5-10 to 10 year period. They have complete control over editing, images, titles, names, etc. Advances are usually smaller and will still require repayment if royalties don't meet expectations. Please note that some mid-sized publishers are more flexible and offer something more like a partnership giving back more creative control to the author, but that, again, is a matter of contract and negotiation. University presses also tend to have a smaller print run, so keep that in mind. The smaller publishing houses are a kind of catch-all area. Pretty much anything that isn't large or mid-sized falls into this area, including mom-and-pop, up-and-coming, and anything else that doesn't fit the large criteria. These publishers tend to have less capabilities, less reach, and there are some scammy houses that pose as official legit ones, so be careful. A real traditional publisher will never, never ask for you to pay them to publish your work. If they do, they are not traditional. These types of publishing houses are probably the most open to emerging authors, though they'll publish any they approve of, be they celebrity or unknown talent. But like the larger houses, they will have a weeding out process to see what fits their image though they are more open to different types than what the mainstream ones might be. Most of these smaller houses, legit ones at least, have the ability to offer the same services, if not all the same formats, as the larger publishers. They also tend to be more collaborative. But again, look at the fine print of any contract before you sign. These ones are less likely to offer an advance on any royalties, but if they don't offer an advance, your royalty percentage may be higher to make up the difference. You only make money if your books sell. Agents aren't necessarily needed for these types of publishing houses, which is a nice bonus. But keep in mind that your books are also less likely to get into physical bookstores, get media attention, or a big name reviewers giving them a look over. Be careful as there are some hybrid or scammy houses masquerading as the legit traditional publishers that they are not. If you are shouldering the majority of the risk, as some will require, be very protective of your rights. Not all of these so-called small publishers are out to help you get into print. They're just out there to make a quick buck. 
That being said, let's turn to the hybrid method, which brings us closer to the whole self-publish or indie path. The hybrid method involves the author paying for the expertise of professionals to get their work published. This often runs into the hundreds of thousands of dollars, depending on the publisher that you choose. Some will require a minimum package to publish with them, and each will have different options, prices, and expectations. You will probably get better royalties than with the traditional houses, but be careful of the trade-offs. Remember, keep an eye on contracts to see what rights you may be giving up, especially since you're basically footing the financial burden of production. There is some value with the going the hybrid route. Those running these types of houses tend to have professional experience and generally know what they're doing. It also lifts the burden of having to figure out how to do it all yourself from your shoulders. Just pay them to do it all for you and hope it turns out the way you want it. Disadvantages to this route, aside from potential scams, include the likelihood you will never see your book in a brick-and-mortar store, unless you manage to place them through some agreement with the owners. You're also probably never going to make back the amount of money you spent to get everything ready for publication. Be careful, as there are assisted publishers calling themselves hybrid to make themselves look more legit. These types of publishers, the assisted ones, are often curated or crowdfunded. Greenleaf is an example of a hybrid publisher, and so is Inkshares and YouBound. But onto the assisted publishing route, these are similar to hybrid in that the author pays everything. This service used to be called Vanity Publishing, which they dropped because it has some very negative connotations. And it's actually what gave self-publishing a bad name. Anyone with enough money could get their work done up and out there, pretty much. They don't discriminate. If you're willing to pay for it, they'll do it. Whether it's well put together or not. These publishers won't take your rights, but they will take your money. They often have different tiers to the services they offer. Authors will also get to keep 100% of all royalties. They're only interested in the fees you pay for them to edit, format, and print your books. The selling of the finished product is entirely up to you, and chances are good you'll get your work published, but you'll go into a lot of debt doing it, because these packages are not cheap, and you may, more like as not, get what you're paying for. The best and most expensive packages do often have the same quality as traditional publishers, but you're going to be paying for them, and I mean thousands of dollars. Any package below that will be less quality. Just remember... The lower tiers of service will be absolute basics, but still pricey compared to other venues. So it's probably best to just steer clear. The name of these publishers tend to vary, but a few you might recognize are Book in a Box, Dog Ear, Girl Friday Productions, and Mill City Press. Count, Author House, iUniverse, and Archway into the mix, if they still exist. If they use pressure tactics to get you to buy their service packages, run. Run far away. And just note that any packages they have with advertising are probably not worth the money. You do better to self-promote. And all this brings me to what the majority of this podcast is about. Self-publishing. Do it yourself or indie, depending on the name you prefer. This is the route you probably think about when you hear the term self-published. In the past, it gave the impression that it was the route an author took if they couldn't get a gig with a traditional publisher or were too poor to pay someone else to do it for them. This is not the case, at least not today. There are many well-respected and self-published authors out there today, 
In fact, there are some traditionally published authors who do a mix of traditional and independent. And some of the more successful ones you hear traditionally actually started out self-publishing. J.K. Rowling, anybody? Self-publishing, indie, whatever you want to call it, assumes the most risks as an author, but it also reaps the most rewards. You are in control of pretty much every step of the process. You are responsible for all the costs, the whole shebang, but you also have all the say. It's almost like a double-edged sword. All the risk, all the reward, but also potentially all the fall with it. The great thing is that with all of the profits, you also keep complete control of your work and its accompanying rights. All the decisions are yours. The title, the content, everything. The downside is you are responsible for everything. Yes, it's that two-sided coin. If you don't know what you're doing, this can quickly become a daunting task. And there are many would-be authors who have thrown themselves at the great mountain of publishing unprepared and went sliding back into their keisters. This is especially true of first-time authors wading into what they think is the shallow end of the pool, only to find the water is probably deeper than they expected. There are also a lot of authors out there who don't care about the quality of their product and will just quickly throw something together, mistakes and all, and call it good. This, unfortunately, gives those who take the time to develop and create a good, or dare I say great, product a bad name. There will always be bad eggs in any group. Those too lazy to figure out how it all works, just throw up something and call it art, and there are some of those who will see some success, but it will be limited and fleeting. There are a lot of aspects that most don't even consider before delving into the wilds of this avenue of publication. However, thanks to people like me, that will hopefully be a bit easier to navigate than just trying to push your way through a bramble bush. The good news is, outside of all the profits, all the credit, all the glory, all the rights, and all the control, is that there are means and ways around the deficits. It's true your books might not end up in the brick-and-mortar stores, or that you'll probably not get the big media coverage, but you get what you put into it, so nothing is really impossible. There are a lot more resources out there now for the indie author than there used to be. Support groups, marketing groups, etc. And as their legitimacy grows, more traditionally bound writers' associations are open to their doors to members who are strictly self-published, even offering contests strictly for those who do independently published works. An example of such an association is the Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators. Even legit and well-recognized and respected organizations such as the Texas Institute of Letters will allow self-published works into their contests. And... As the world grows and the publishing world changes, more opportunities are sure to open up as well. There are plenty of print-on-demand services, the most recognized being Ingram Spark and Amazon Kindle Direct Publishing, or KDP for short. For ebook, there are enough to make a normal person's head spin, but some of the more prominent ones include KDP, Ingram Spark, Draft to Digital, which is merging with Smashwords, and Pronoun. And most of these services cost little to nothing to use. Ingram does have a setup fee, but there are coupons you can find to waive that. KDP is free to set up. There are more out there if you care to look them up. Just make sure they're legit before using them. Now that you've had a basic overview of each of the different publishing avenues, it's up to you to decide which is best for you. But if you've decided you want to give self-publishing a decent chance or are curious about what it all might entail, by all means, keep listening. I will update. Hopefully on a weekly basis, a new episode about the whole process. I welcome questions and comments as we go along. 
I hope you will continue on this journey with me, delving deeper into the sometimes confusing world of the independently self-published author. I'm Carly with Dragon Key Press, and I hope to see you for our next episode.